If you have your Bibles, turn with us to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 2. The book of Hebrews chapter number 2. And if you're able, I would invite you to stand with us for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 2. We'll take our text out of verse number 9, but Hebrews chapter 2 will begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken to the angels provided steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, and have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands, and have put all things in subjection under his feet." For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of his death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come to you in prayer this morning. And Father, we ask that for the next few moments, Lord, may you open our eyes, Lord, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we understand the suffering that, uh, Lord, you endured, that we might have peace and safety and hope for eternity. Father, we say thank you for your goodness. Lord, bless now for the one who is here today who does not know you as their Savior. God, I pray that they won't leave these doors today until they have made things right with you, Lord, and they have the assurance of their salvation. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our text, verse number 9, says, But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. As we continue through our uh, series here through the book of Hebrews, today we come to Hebrews chapter 2 and want to preach on this thought of Jesus, the suffering servant. Jesus, the suffering servant. We find here that the Bible says that he suffered the uh, death, the death of the cross. We can go all the way back to Isaiah, and in Isaiah we find that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and Jesus suffered throughout his life. He suffered, and in many ways he suffered that you and I may not have to suffer. First off, I want to look at this morning through this Hebrews chapter 2, I want to look at the humility of Jesus. Look at me in verse number 7. The Bible says, You have made him a little lower than the angels, and have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. 
The, the Bible says here that Jesus Christ was made lower than the angels. Now, this is something for a creator to be made lower than his creation. And yet, that's exactly what happened here with Jesus Christ. He was made lower than the angels. He was really made lower than the angels in two distinct ways. First, in his nature, man and servant, he was less powerful or made himself of lower power and status than what the angels were, and that he took on a flesh that could suffer and die. He made himself lower in his nature, but also in his condition of suffering and dying. And uh, both the nature and condition, he took on a form that was lower than the angels. Ultimately, however, this phrase really is in reference to when it says uh, lower than the angels. This is a reference to a period of time more than anything. It is saying that he was made lower than the angels for a little while. For just a time, he was still God incarnate, God in the flesh. He was still God of all, but for a time, he took on the form of man. That he took on flesh. It was a temporary status that was willingly accepted or brought on, and he did so for the ransom of many. And so Jesus Christ humbled himself and took on a form lower than the angels. I don't know about you today, but this is still... I, I, it's hard for me as a pastor even to wrap my mind around how a holy, righteous God, the ruler and creator of all things, could make himself lower than the angels. Yet the Bible says that he did so because he loved you and I. How could he love me? I don't know. It truly is, as we sing Amazing Grace, his grace truly is amazing. How he could love me enough to descend from his throne in heaven, his perfect righteousness and his perfect existence and come down to a fallen earth to a fallen people and take on the form of a servant and live and die among men and women such as you and I. Jesus Christ, though he humbled himself. The Bible says even to death, even the death of the cross. The humility of Jesus. Talking about his suffering. He was made lower than the angels. But even more so than that, it was in that he did so being made like humanity. In Hebrews chapter 2, look at me in verse number 17 and 18. Therefore, it says, therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. He was made as you and I. The Bible said he was made like his brethren. That is, and that he lived in among us. And as I talked about next week, if you want to find more about the humanity of Christ, come go to Israel, I promise you. It brings it into a fresh perspective. It puts fresh eyes on uh, your understanding of the Word of God and Jesus Christ. But he was made human and uh, just like you and I are. It may have been 2,000 years ago, but he was a real person that really lived and breathed and really, uh, he breathed in oxygen and, and he drank water and, and he ate food and he was a real person. He took on humanity. The Bible says that he would be like us so that as he suffered and being tempted, he is able to aid those who, have, uh, who are also tempted. And I want to be clear on this. Jesus Christ was tempted 
by sin. He was tempted by Satan there in the wilderness, and Satan tempted him three different times. However, although Jesus was tempted by sin, Jesus was not tempted to sin. And there is a difference. He, sin was presented to him, yet I don't believe even for one second that Jesus Christ ever contemplated or struggled with the sin in the same manner that you and I are. He was perfect. He didn't even, the Bible says he knew no sin. Sin was, he was tempted by it, but he was not tempted to it. You and I are both tempted by sin, but also we are tempted to sin. But Jesus Christ was perfect in that way. Yet he took on the form of flesh. He took on a human form and came and li God lived among men that he may know the, 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 the sufferings that you and I face, that he might know what it is to be rejected and to hurt and to have loss. And he did so that he might be able to aid us. And so the Bible says that we don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, that we don't have a God who doesn't know what it's like to suffer. But Jesus Christ suffered so that when we are suffering, when we are hurting, he knows what it is that we're going through, and he is able to deliver us from these things. We see the humility of Jesus. But second of all this morning, I want to look at the hope that is found in Jesus. The hope that is found in Jesus. It may be hard to imagine this morning, but that hope is found through his suffering. Look at me in verse number 10. Verse number 10 says, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation, watch this, perfect through suffering. Sufferings. The Bible deals much with suffering. The oldest book of the Bible is the book of Job. And the entire book is dedicated to the sufferings that this one man Job faced. The loss of his belongings, of all his, his, his herds and his cattle and, and everything he possessed, his houses, his sons and his daughters, they all were even, uh, they were killed and, and he lost everything. And, then, and the, then his wife turned around and said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Even his wife turned her back on Job. And then come, when it was all said and done, here he is sitting in ashes, mourning over everything. And then his friends come along. And what do his friends do? The friends began to point fingers and try to blame him for everything that's happened to him. And Job was a man of suffering. And so from the very oldest book of the Bible all the way through, uh, the Bible deals with this subject of suffering. But Jesus Christ himself suffered. Jesus Christ's sufferings were foretold in the Old Testament. For sake of time this morning, I won't go but, uh, through all of them, but Psalms 22, verses 6 through 8. Psalms 22, 16 through 18. Isaiah chapter 50, verse number 6, which we already alluded to. Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, and also uh, verse number 12. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10, Zechariah 12, 2, Zechariah 13, 7, and, and, and on and on throughout the Old Testament, we find that Jesus' suffering was foretold in the Old Testament that Jesus Christ would be a man of suffering. Jesus Christ suffered. 
Jesus Christ himself predicted that he would suffer. In Matthew chapter 16, verse number 21, it says, From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Matthew 20, 17 through 19, John 12, 32 through 33, we find references where Jesus Christ himself even told the disciples, he said, listen, I'm going to have to suffer. See, preacher, you're talking a lot about suffering this morning. Why is it? Because I believe there are many people who are suffering. Suffering. Pain and hurt. from the actions of others and often even from our own action or inaction yet Jesus Christ his suffering was unparalleled he suffered in, during his lifetime as a child Jesus Christ suffered in Matthew chapter 2 verses 13 through 15 the Bible says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young man, uh, or seek the young child, to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. From his very birth, there were those who sought to take the life of Jesus Christ. Suffered even as a child. It's hard to imagine that a child could even suffer. He suffered inwardly, and he was inwardly troubled. John 12, verse 27 says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Matthew 26, 36, John 13, 21, we find where Jesus was inwardly troubled. He was betrayed. Matthew 26, 21 through 25, John 13, 18 through 30, we find where Jesus Christ was betrayed by his disciples, by his own people. He was betrayed and he was cast out. Jesus Christ knew suffering. He was humiliated. Bear with me this morning. I, I want to share just a little bit about his suffering and then I, I, will, I will get to where I'm going. But he was humiliated in Matthew 27. Uh, chapter 27, verse 27 through 30, says, And the soldiers of the governor took Jesus in the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted the crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. He was humiliated. The God of all. The creator of humanity. The giver of life. The one who has said, God is love. The one whose very words spoke this world into existence was there with his garments being stripped off of him. Being left naked before his mockers. To be spat upon. To be cursed. To have a crown of thorns placed and beat upon his brow. 
that Savior humiliated in front of people, in front of the very creatures which he gave life to. This morning, he knew suffering. He was crucified. Luke 23, 33, and when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals were on the right hand and the other on the left. I won't go through all of the story of the crucifixion this morning, but if you are familiar with the crucifixion story, you know that Jesus Christ suffered. Scientists and health physicians have tried to determine how bad the suffering was, and they say that it was some of the worst suffering that could ever have been imaginable. The, the, the Romans were proficient at, at everything they did just about, but especially at the art of making people suffer. And the crucifixion was gruesome. Jesus Christ hung there, every bone in his body out of joint, nails piercing through his hands and through his feet as he hung there on the cross grasping for very breath and he did so willingly suffering that he might be able to relate to you and then to top it all off in Matthew 27 verse number 46 it says and about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying Eli Eli lama sabachthani which is to say my God my God why have you forsaken me because of your sin because of my sin because of the guilt that we have Jesus Christ took it upon himself and after all the other suffering Christ had endured even there on the cross the Bible says that the skies grew black the world turned dark as God turned his back upon the Son and Jesus Christ suffered once more as the Father forsook him there on the cross He knew suffering. Why would he do that? Why would anyone, let alone God himself, why would he take that kind of suffering? The Bible says that he did so for you and I. He suffered and gave himself up that he might pay for your sins. Because he loved you so much. You say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the decisions I've made in my life. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the things that I'm guilty of. I want you to know that I do not know, but I know enough to, know, to be able to say this. There is nothing that you have ever done or ever could do that is greater than the price that he paid. His price was so great that it's able to cover any sin you could ever imagine. People have said, Pastor, you don't know where I've been. I had a young lady that I witnessed too often when I was in college in Jacksonville, Florida, there in college, and I never could get her to come to church, Brother Dennis. I tried and tried. 
to get her to come to church. And here, this is honestly what she believed. She told me all the time. She said, I would come, I, I want to come to church, she says, but I can't. She says, you don't know my life. She says, if I came into church, she said, the building would catch on fire. And she wasn't joking. She was dead serious. And I never could get her to come to church. But in all reality this morning, the, the most pride-filled act or thought that we could ever have, the most blatant act of self-righteousness is for people, a man, a woman, a boy or a girl, to look at God and say, the Lord, the price that you paid on Calvary Maybe it was good, but it wasn't good enough. It's saying that the actions, the choices, the things that I do are great enough to undo what you did on Calvary. To say that after having been given salvation, to say, Lord, I know that you said that you would forgive us and that you would save us. And the Bible says we'd have everlasting life. God, you promised me eternal life, but my actions are good enough. I'm powerful enough that works of my hands and my deeds can rip away the salvation that you have promised. What a pride-filled thought. And yet many people will die and go to hell with that level of arrogance. This morning, I want you to know that Jesus Christ suffered and paid the price. And what he did was so miraculous, so wonderful, so great. That no action of any man, woman, boy, or girl that ever has lived or ever will live is able to conquer the victory that he obtained on Calvary. He suffered for this, for his salvation. Look at me in verse number three. The Bible says this. It says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape? If we neglect. If the price of sin was so great that a holy, righteous God had to send his son down from the thrones of glory to live among men, to suffer his entire life and die upon the cross and give his life. If that's the price that had to be paid, how shall we escape? Or how will you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? Without him, there is no escape. There's no hope. There's no help. It's said that a Hungarian king, finding himself on a certain day depressed and unhappy, sent for his brother a good-natured but rather indifferent prince. And to him, the king said, I'm a great sinner and fear to meet God. Here was a king facing Job's question. 
what shall I do when God rises up? And when he visited, what shall I answer him? The prince, however, he only laughed at the king and treated the matter as a joke. And just the way people are doing now, um, this did not serve to relieve the royal unhappiness. But when you get a vision of your guilt before God, you want help and maybe your friends or family, others might laugh at your seriousness of your relationship with him. Yet that will never answer the question. What will you do when God comes? It was a custom in Hungary that at the time that if any executioner at any hour sounded a trumpet before a man's door, it was a signal that that individual was to be led forth to be executed. The king sent the executioner in the dead of the night to sound the fateful uh, blast before the, his brother's door. The prince, awaking from his sleep, realized his, um, its awful uh, uh, implications and quickly dressed. He stepped to the door and was seized by the executioner, dragged pale and trembling into the king's presence. In an agony of terror, he fell upon his knees before his brother and begged in what way he had offended this king. My brother, answered the king, if the sight of a human executioner is so terrible to you, should not I have grievously, who have grievously offended God fear to be brought before him? The sense of sin makes us uh, all fear to face God. We're reminded in the Bible that it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Jesus Christ suffered. He became, he humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, was made lower than the angels, took on the form of flesh, he suffered his entire life and his death and gave his life upon Calvary so that you and I may not have to face eternal damnation. And here in verse 3 he says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? This morning, I hope that everyone here knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. The reality of it is, in even a congregation this size this morning, that there are many here who no doubt do not know Him. You can try to be a good person, and so you should. You can try to be a good husband and a good wife, and that should be all of our aim that are married. You can try to come to church and be a good church member, and I hope you are. I hope you're faithful to serve and love the Lord. I hope you're faithful to pray and read your Bible. Yet the question still remains, how will you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? This morning, one day, Christ will come again. And it may be soon. And as Job asked, what am I going to say 
when he comes. This morning, your only hope when you take your last breath will be this. My hope is Jesus Christ. He alone is our hope because he has suffered. He has paid the price that we could never pay. And he freely offers salvation. And when he comes, there are two answers and two choices. The first response is Jesus Christ. And in that day, we'll know heaven and eternity. But if our response, our heart, is trusting anything other than him, the answer is wrong. We are condemned to an eternity in hell without Christ. This morning, are you ready to meet God? Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. This morning, I want to ask you, the most important question that you'll ever be asked. And that is this, are you ready to meet God? I wonder how many of you can say right now, 100%, no questions asked, Pastor, if I die right now, I know, I know, Pastor, I am ready to meet God. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? Just testify and say, Pastor, I know that I stand ready to meet God. Hands down. There were many this morning who could not raise your hand. Sister Kay, if you'd play for us. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. If you couldn't raise your hand... I want to invite you right where you're sitting. Would you pray? If, or I'm going to invite you to come to the front. Pray with me. I'm here at the front. If you want to know this morning how you can have eternal life, would you come? Right now, would you step out of your pew and come forward? Let us take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure that you have eternal life. Maybe you're a little more bashful and don't want to come forward. That's fine. You don't have to come forward to give your life to Christ. But right now, right where you're sitting, if you could not raise your hand, would you bow your head and, and pray and get serious with God for just a moment and say, God, I understand that I'm a sinner. God, I, I know that I'm headed towards hell because my faith has not been in you. God, I've trusted my, my self-righteousness. I've trusted everything, but God, I've never trusted you. And Lord, I stand before you condemned. But God, I believe that Jesus was your son and that he died in my place. Lord, I'm going to put my life, my faith, my trust in him. How about it this morning? Would you pray? Would you, would you give your life to Christ? Would you let go of the ropes and just say, Lord, I, I, I'm putting everything, I'm putting my whole life in your hands. God, you take my life. Would you do that? This morning, if God has spoke to your heart, maybe about something else, maybe you say, Preacher, I already know that I'm saved.
Maybe you want to pray for someone else to be saved. Maybe you have other issues in your life. I want to make the altar open as we begin to sing. If God has spoken to you, would you come and do business with the Lord?